0: Betsky, welcome to the Bitcoin Source. Um, thank you for taking time to you know sit down and have this conversation with me. Can we start things off by having you introduce yourself to the audience and to the world?
1: A uh, really brief intro. So I think most people know me as a as kind of a Twitter personality or a, or a Bitcoin author. Um, I've I think I might be one of the more prolific writers in Bitcoin. You know, well over a million words on Bitcoin. Um, shitload of articles on Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, you know, at the time of this recording i've just finished the the first draft of um of my second book called the bushido of bitcoin but you know other than that like my my history and background has been more of an entrepreneur so i i built the world's first bitcoin only dca app and kind of inspired the whole industry forward so you know after me came relay and swan and everyone else that sort of built dca apps which has been fantastic um, and before that, I just had a whole string of businesses, some which were successful, some which fucking blew up at my face. Um, all since I was kind of eighteen years old, dropped out of university and started building things. So, yeah, basically entrepreneur, author, um, and you know, this year kind of focusing on on a, on a new startup that I am working on that's in stealth. Uh, maybe by the time people listen to this, I'll have i um, I'll be talking about it online, and uh, and yeah, that's that's a bit about my background, man.
0: Thank you. I, I appreciate that for that introduction, Fesky. Um, you know, before we get into your book, the you know, the Bushido book, I really wanted to really know like, you know, your early beginnings, like where you sourced your Bitcoin knowledge from, like what might have inspired you as a Bitcoiner, you know, in your earliest days, whether it be books, courses, or even people. So could you kind of give a brief breakdown on that? Yeah, man, my, my early
1: inspiration was actually I, I credit a lot of my thinking around Bitcoin to Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, You know, I think he's sort of gone off the deep end now um, and he's a bit of a weirdo, but uh, his his early work, particularly the stuff that, you know, you've got on YouTube of him between 2014 and 2016 is phenomenal. Like, really, really, really good work. And, you know, his book, The Internet of Money, like he's got a couple, he's got a series of those. Um, They're they're not technical. They're just basically transcriptions of his talks. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. So... A lot of credit there. Um, Tone Vase and Giacomo Zucco were, you know, instrumental for me to sort of uh, descend from what I call Mount Stupid. So in 2016, 2017, I screwed around with altcoins. I screwed around with, you know, what we now call affectionately shitcoins in 2016, 2017. You know, I messed around with ICOs and this and that and all sorts of garbage. Uh, and yeah, it was kind of Giacomo Zucco, Tone Vase, and then, you know, Safer Dean sort of wrote his Bitcoin standard, Jimmy Song, you know, they were instrumental in sort of making me think a little bit deeper about, you know, why, why are we here? What are we doing? Like, are we here to, you know, print new digital money, like, which is essentially what crypto is, or are we here to like support sound money and, you know, what impact that has on the world? And, you know, the, the rabbit hole continued to deepen uh, you know, with Safer Dean's book and then with, you know, work from people like Gigi, etc. like he and I connected early on. Breed love and I connected early on, and I think, yeah, very, very quickly I sort of doubled down on the Bitcoin narrative. And I think a lot of my prior reading and history, in you know understanding sort of the world and anthropology and human history, and uh, you know the little bit I dabbled in Austrian economics and stuff like that, just things really made sense for me with respect to Bitcoin. And yeah, I, I, I became one of the one of the dreaded maxis uh, pretty quickly
0: it's kind of crazy, right? When people talk about toxic maximalism or just being Bitcoin only, um, there's so many layers and levels to it. And, you know, a lot of your writing has inspired me, like The Remnant. You know, that Mm -hmm. series was just so instrumental for people that really understand what Bitcoin is. And, you know, they're willing to stand on their beliefs even if they get backlash or they get um, flack from the community. And I think that we, you know, sometimes need more people in the Bitcoin ecosystem, that's like that, you know, of course, you have Max Kaiser and some people that are, you know, on another level with it. But I've always, you know, really respected the fact that, you know, as a writer myself, um, someone that could kind of really elucidate on some of these things that true Bitcoiners go through and what the expectations are going to be for people down the road totally
1: man totally i mean you we're we're in an interesting phase of bitcoin sort of bitcoin's life And and i wrote a little bit about this in the recent article that i published um the three generations theory of bitcoin is that you know we this first generation is kind of the infection stage and bitcoin's got to infect the system and You know, that doesn't mean mass adoption. Like it means like getting into the system, co opting the financial system, you know, get getting into the hearts and minds of people, you know, getting entangled into institutions, into people's finances, into government, into all sorts of things like that. And the the kind of person that is required to be an advocate of Bitcoin during that phase is someone who is fundamentally more of a radical, like more of a remnant type person. Like it's not going to be your average Joe, right? That is going to be drawn to Bitcoin and its appeal during that first phase. It's, it's just not the case. Um, so yeah, you know, at this point, like I, I think we still have another good, you know, five years basically to the end of this decade of, you know, Bitcoin sort of, you know, getting through its first era or its first generation and hey, yeah, you know, it's going to be a bunch of us crazy people, um, you know, getting onto Bitcoin.
0: Yes, most definitely. I can agree with that. And Fetsky, you know, I really want to get into uh, your new book that you're releasing, which, you know, congratulations, by the way, I'm super excited for you. Um, You know, your book talks a lot about, and I should backtrack a little bit because, you know, I'm a martial artist myself. And, you know, anytime I see people talking about um, morality, a code of ethics, Bushido, I always get excited because, Um, discipline is really lacking in our community, in our society, and especially amongst um, men in this society. So um, when you see a book that's kind of intertwining Bitcoin and some of these philosophies that martial artists stand on, it's always super exciting for me. Um, Your book talks a lot about the moral code that Bitcoiners should follow, you know, besides having this, you know, ostentatious spending or flexing for social media if they're a whale or they, you know, amass a, a bunch of Bitcoin. And you know, there's a saying that making money is an action, keeping money is a behavior, but growing money is wisdom. You know, how does this book teach people the wisdom behind Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, so let me um, let me preface. I, I think you opened that up really well, which is the, the question that I'm trying to uh, answer, or at least, uh, you know, the inquiry that I'm pursuing in this book is different than what most other Bitcoin books um, are looking to do. Most Bitcoin books are talking about the how and the why uh, of Bitcoin succeeding and how it works and what it's going to do and all this sort of stuff. You know, my, my question is more, all right, well, let's say we do succeed and then all of us Bitcoin hodlers, you know, move from socioeconomic middle class to elite class very, very quickly, like in a short span of time. You know, what what who, who do we become? Do, do we become degenerate, sort of Louis Vuitton, you know, Richard Hart type figures? Uh, do we become a new parasitic, you know, political elite? Um, you know, or do we become men and women of virtue? And you know, what I what I then try and do with that is I say, all right, if we if we want to be the latter, the the men and women of virtue, like what what are the cultures that have shown uh, the greatest degree of virtue um, in their norms? Uh, and in the you know in the way they live and you know in their leadership for example and the 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 most moral cultures are actually and this will come as a surprise to some people but the most moral cultures are the are the warrior cultures because those cultures live and breathe and exist at the edge of life and death right like there's there's no greater stake than you know the moment of war so in order to uh subsist and persist as a culture there needs to be some sort of code that people are you know willing to live and die by and you know you don't you don't have that a lot in modern times because i think you know we have this sort of false sense of peace um you know and we've kind of been told that peace is a virtue and i like during my study and thinking you know and deep dive in writing this book i've come to realize that i think peace is actually a very low um it it definitely is not a virtue um you know perhaps it's not a vice but it's kind of like a you know, a low value, uh, at best. Um, I think the greatest things generally come from conflict or struggle or competition, which are basically, uh, variations on war, right? So anyway, um, what I tried to do and the reason it's called the Bushido of Bitcoin was, you know, I drew a lot of inspiration from the, from the samurai code where the word Bushido comes from. So, you know, in a sense, essentially in Japanese Bushido means, um, you know, way of the warrior basically. And, you know, if we look at the, you know, what what Bushido was in the medieval or feudal uh, Japanese period, it wasn't it wasn't a written code per se. You know, I'm sure there was, you know, texts and stuff like that that referred to the virtues and values that needed to be embodied by a samurai, but it was essentially like an unwritten code and it was an expectation of a set of virtues that a samurai should embody if he was to be considered a samurai. So it wasn't just, you know, you have your sword um, and you're born into a samurai family. Well, you know that obviously mattered because there was a class structure. But to really be uh, a samurai of worth and of respect, you needed to develop and embody these virtues. And you know that sort of training and inculcation started from a young age. And anyway, the the sort of the eight virtues, and I don't have it in front of me, but off the top of my head, were you know justice, courage, uh, benevolence, compassion. Um, duty, loyalty, respect, um, self-control, uh, and there's a couple others there. It's just sort of not coming to the top of my head now. But they were sort of what were expected of samurai, and um, and what I did, other than looking at that culture, was I looked at some other cultures, so the Spartan culture, the ancient Macedonians, um, a little about the you know a little bit about the early Persians, uh, the chivalric culture out in the west. Um, sort of like the Arthurian and medieval Europe, and you just found these parallels everywhere. The the kind of virtues seem to be very, 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 very similar across each of these cultures. And what that told me was there is something here. Um, and anyway, the, the book then sort of goes on to say, well, if these are the if these are sort of the virtues that have called upon the best of men. Um, and and do you know what? This is probably more of a men's book than it is a women's book because you know the, the the kind of virtues that men and women should embody, I think, are different anyway. And you know, I I'm a man, so I will obviously write more for men than I do for women. Um, you know, although I do hope this sort of you know inspires both both genders. But um, yeah, I, I ask the question: like you know, can we learn something from these cultures? Because you know, if you look at the whole meme, the good men create. Uh, sorry, strong men create good times, you know, good times create weak men, weak men, bad times, you know, bad times, strong men. It's like the period of peace is actually uh, the the good times that create weak men, right? Um, it's the wartime that creates the strong men. Um, I, I think if we can sort of bring some of those virtues forward um, and combine it with like the economic reality of Bitcoin, uh, we, we may have a chance to maybe at least shrink the bad times, um, you know, or make the amplitude of the bad time, you know, less severe i don't know I, I think there's something there and it's definitely a, an idea worth exploring
0: yes and you know that makes me think about you know when i was actually still a martial artist and my sensei would uh you know make us learn a process called tam t-a-m which was the total approach to martial arts and it was beyond your physical attributes or what you could do in Mm -hmm. the dojo on the mat. It was also based around, you know, your philosophical ideas and how you think about things and having self control. And that makes me wonder and ask this question to you Fetsky, which is out of all of those virtues. And I know we don't have a list of them right in front of us, but what would be the one virtue that you would love for Bitcoiners to kind of adopt from this book? Oh, that's a, that's a tricky one. I,
1: I think the answer is excellence. So, so the, the virtue of excellence is actually not uh, generally written in um, in the Bushido of Bitcoin, and it's not really referenced in other moral codes, but I feel like it's extremely relevant for us because I think excellence was um, almost a given in those cultures, like they didn't have to uh, talk about it as a, as a particular virtue to embody um, you know, may, maybe the ancients, you know, sort of the ancient Macedonians, the ancient Greeks sort of talked about excellence as a thing, um, you know, more more so probably than, you know, Japanese and later chivalric culture. But I would say excellence because I think the, the first two that I was going to mention were courage and uh, self-control. Now, courage and self-control are the quintessential virtues of warriorhood, right? Courage is like the, you know, the heart, like the the spirit of the fucking warrior and without courage you don't ha- you do not have a warrior right and and for me that's like probably the most important virtue of all is you know the like courage is you know doing what's right even when there is risk to oneself right and sort of in the book i outlined you know justice being the um the first virtue and justice is kind of like the the doing of what's right right and and it's extraordinarily important but courage kind of takes it a step further it's like doing justice in the face of danger or in the face of death like it's it's an extraordinary um extraordinary virtue and you know warrior cultures really oriented themselves around courage but then the thing that caps them off is other than courage the probably the second most or at least up there with courage is self-restraint or self-control and there's a saying by Nietzsche which comes to mind here is like the strong man is not he and I'm going to paraphrase this obviously but it's not the strong man is not he who can get a hammer and crush an egg It's the one who can swing the hammer as if to crush it, but then stop at the moment of crushing it, right? So like it's that ability to restrain or the the ability to hold yourself. And, you know, you sort of, you see that in like the the greatest masters could, you know, completely whoop your fucking ass, right? But they won't do it. You know, they have a level of restraint. Um, And, you know, that to me is like real mastery. But I, I would say that Bitcoin is, I think, already embody those two pretty well. So like we are courageous in that, you know, we're putting ourselves out there, we're doing podcasts, we, you know, we're going to war with people on Twitter and, you know, we're onboarding businesses and friends and family. So, so we, you know, we're we're adopting, you know, Bitcoin in the face of a, you know, totalitarian globalist state that's trying to fucking lock us up and all this. So, you know, there's a good dose of courage. And I think we're pretty good at the self-control thing already is like Bitcoin is, you know, by and large, we'll avoid shit coins, you know, we'll, you know, we'll do their best to kind of not fall down that rabbit hole, we'll try and have some sort of self control with respect to, you know, as they get further down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, they'll try and eat better, they'll train, they'll do all this sort of stuff. So I think we're kind of, obviously, huge amounts of uh, progress to be made in, you know, each of those departments, but I think we're doing okay uh, in that sort of... um in that sort of realm. So that's why I kind of fall to excellence because I want to, I want to make a note here, which I think is, you know, some people might take the wrong way, but I'm, I'm over and done with sort of the pleb movement. I think the the idea or the concept of pleb is just fucking stupid. Um, you know, a plebeian is the idea of like the average man. And for me, there's nothing so vile or pathetic as the average man. I think excellence is something worth striving for excellence is that which we should uh, respect and excellence actually implies elitism and we've we've completely confused that in the modern world we think elite is bad it's like since when did fucking elite become bad it's you know i'll tell you when it's because we got confused to think that average is fucking good um, and that participation awards are somehow you know uh, virtuous and that you know being just another number is okay and I see this a lot in the Bitcoin spaces. Like, you know, when I hear shit like, oh, we are all Satoshi. I'm like, no, motherfucker, you're not Satoshi. You know, you're whoever you are. Like, stop. Like, you did not fucking launch and build Bitcoin. Like, fuck you. Um, you know, we're not all Satoshi. And and I get the whole point. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, the anonymous thing, blah, blah, blah. But please, like, to me, there's there's nothing. Like, it's it's really pathetic and then like there's, there's all sorts of other stuff like that kind of peeves me a little bit it's like this kind of it almost reminds me of you know i don't know light communism is um you know there's the whole group um the group dynamic going on so anyway my, my whole point here is that i think excellence is something that bitcoiners need to embrace and i don't say this as like i'm fucking holier than thou i'm better than all of you and you should fucking be like me no i try every day to be the best fucking version of myself you know i train my fucking ass off um whether it's doing jiu-jitsu whether it's training at the gym you know whether it's writing you know i'm always trying out to outdo myself i'm striving for excellence because i know that is virtuous and that is what drives the world forward and if i can inspire a couple people to do that and they strive for excellence this is how we raise you know and push the human race forward um so anyway i, I just think that that's probably a big weak spot uh, for Bitcoiners. And, you know, we, you know, we sort of fall for these narratives of, um, you know, of commonality and plebeianism and, you know, the average man way too quickly, which to me is basically the the siren call of the, you know, democracy and, you know, what I call equalitarian governments. is like, they want you to feel like another number and they want you to associate with being a pleb um, and give up your fucking natural inborn right to be elite which is what you should be going for.
0: Yes, and there's always that saying, right, Fetsky, where it's it's better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in war.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: a lot of people, you know, I kind of agree with you that they've kind of gotten soft because of, you know, the peaceful times that we live in or the somewhat peaceful times, at least in the first world countries. um and, you know, it makes me wonder about your book and, like, the message you're trying to convey, which is, you know, do Bitcoiners need to be warriors or have a warrior archetype to actually understand this book? I
1: mean, I think those who have a natural predisposition to warriorhood or combat or conflict, I think, will naturally appreciate and gravitate, gravitate towards the book more. Um, and, and I think they will find a lot of validation in there. Uh, own predispositions in reading the book so i think that'll be powerful for them but then i think those who don't necessarily um associate with that archetype i think they would find a lot of value in sort of understanding that i think a big takeaway for them is going to be what we sort of mentioned earlier peace is not a virtue like i think a lot of the austrian economics libertarian sort of thinking and ideas that are very prevalent in the bitcoin space and look you know, there's a lot of merit to those ideas, but I really try and question those here. And I'm not saying they're wrong or right. Like I actually just question, I'm like, hey, you know, is peace something worth striving for, you know, or or should we be orienting to a better North Star? Um, Because, you know, what does, what effect does peace have on the heart and spirit and mind, you know, of a human being and then of a civilization then at large? And, you know, I mean, if, You know, if countries like Australia or Canada are are any, you know, indication, they are historically the most peaceful countries in the world. Um, and they were the quickest to become fucking gulags, um, you know, in, in the last couple of years. So, you know, what, what does that do to the populace? Um, so yeah, I, I think those who have a natural predisposition or, uh, you know, a, an aversion to conflict or, war or things like that i think they should read this and then you know tell me what they think you know see, see, let let it, let the book challenge them because you know there's nothing better than reading a book that'll challenge you from someone that you generally agree with like th- this will be the best part of the book is like bitcoin is that we all agree on bitcoin and then sort of like reading it and be like well fuck you i'm a you know i'm a pacifist and you know let me challenge you let me challenge you that Maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something you're missing.
0: And I think that everybody has this uh, fight or flight response inside of them naturally. But, you know, sometimes more more people are suppressed or they're just not there just because they've been mundane for so long. And, you know, even for myself, like I do so many different things in the space and it's kind of difficult to not get. Uh, pigeon into certain sectors like if there's something that I believe in or just um, different th- little avenues where at the end of the day just like to not cause confusion I always tell people that you know I'm a bitcoiner first and I believe in freedom money which I think bitcoin is and you know there was something that I heard you say quite often in interviews Fetsky which is talking about the intolerant minority mm-hmm. do you still stand on that understanding or that belief that bitcoiners are the intolerant minority?
1: Yeah, I mean, this ties back into what we said earlier about the remnant piece, which is, you know, P- th- this generation of Bitcoiners has to be the intolerant minority because we're in the infection stage of Bitcoin's adoption curve, um, and you know, if we're a, if we're a, you know, bunch of tolerant fucking Nancys, like there's no way that Bitcoin's going to have the stickiness uh, that it has, like. We, we are such intolerant fucks that Bitcoin will drop 80% and, you know, we're going to be buying more of the shit. Um, you know, like, what kind of a psychotic group of people, you know, do we need to be in order to actually do that? And, you know, Bitcoiners, like, Literally, there's, there's your answer.
0: And you've written about this, of course, and I've never been able to formally ask you, but like citadels, like I always think citadels are something so interesting and different because especially now with like climate change and all the different things we see in the media, like I've always thought about, you know, people coming to a common ground and a common understanding on a community level where, you know, a bunch of Bitcoiners just get together and create a town or create a villa or something where, you know, there's farming, there's collective circular economy, there's people that actually, um, you know, stand up on morals and principles and honesty. And I've always wanted to like really hear, you know, your thoughts on like Citadels and the Citadel movement for Bitcoiners. Yeah, I think
1: my one, my sort of take on this is it's got to be um, economically feasible, right? And what what I mean by that is the the Citadel has to be run like a business business. Um, where you know you have, I think the only thing that keeps the um the relationship between a so-called citizen uh, and governor, you know, of a territory is the customer service provider relationship. Um, so, you know, if the relationship transforms into, uh, you know, the overlord and uh, you know, fucking serf, which is essentially what we have, like, you know, in this citizen government relationship, um, you know. Obviously things get ugly and you know, we've seen that. So, so how do we, how do we create a situation where, you know, you, you, you're a customer of a territory? Like, cause I, I've never, wa- I don't know about you, but I've never walked into a restaurant and had the waiter slap me in the face when I took an order, right? Like, it just doesn't fucking happen. You know, I don't walk into a car dealership, go to buy a car and get punched in the face. It doesn't work like that. So like, you know, when you're the customer, you get treated pretty damn well um and you know it's it's even the same when you visit countries as a fucking tourist generally people treat you better like and even though you know they they don't really have to and it's not like you're bringing a huge incremental difference in terms of money to their economy but generally they treat tourists better so like how do we do that and you know maybe the citadel model you know is a solution to that but then the question then is like okay so what what does that citadel model look like and how does it function and that's where my guess is that you know it uh, operates more like a you know, probably a company, um, and where that company is the ostensibly the owner of the territory, um, and the, you know, maybe there's like shareholders, you know, of that company. So that way there's like a group of shareholders that own the territory and that could be the founding fathers or the founding partners who might be all Bitcoiners, right? They go and buy a huge chunk of territory. Um, and then they, they operate the damn thing. And then, you know, people who come in, they're not, um, you know, maybe, maybe what they do is they just pay a membership fee, you know, and in that membership fee, maybe they get like, you know, a place to live and, you know, they get the right to, you know, run a business and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, that's sort of how they operate. I, I don't know, you know, obviously the specifics of how these things are going to function, but I feel like it's going to be more like that. I I used to think that, you know, they'd be, you know, more like anarcho-capitalist sort of, you know, uh, flat organizations and you know no rulers and stuff like that but i the old the more mature i get the less i think that that's viable because it's i think there's too much fragmentation at the you know at the individual level for for anything to operate properly like i think there will be uh you know there's economies of scale and diseconomies of scale and i think you know an economy of scale is probably like a, a small town you know or maybe even a city that is run by a company, um, and then anything larger than that, I think, starts to suffer from diseconomies of scale because the larger something is, um, you know, the the harder it is to like the, the more problems you probably have with like some of the outlying people. But then also the harder it is to manage and the harder it is to make profitable. So I think we'll find basically different territories finding a different uh, economic mean. Uh, in which they can operate and you know those i think will have different flavors of citadel different sizes like the more flat a territory is the larger it actually can be the more uh, mountainous and the more rugged the terrain the smaller the citadel will have to be the difference in temperature will also have a big impact um you know stable temperature throughout the year will probably make for larger territorial um, operation. Uh, harsher temperature will probably require, you know, cooperation more at the local level, so you probably have smaller territories. So, so there's all these variables that, you know, we'll find out. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether we'll see citadels completely in our lifetime. We'll probably have some prototypes. But I think, you know, take it out 100, 200, 500 years from now, I think the world will, you know, function on a citadel model more than, more than what we have now in the nation-state model.
0: Nice, nice. I I love those thoughts, man. You know, it's always good to just hear people thinking about this because I remember, like, the Citadel movement was pretty big at one point and it's kind Mm -hmm. of, like, died down a little bit. But it also makes me think about when you talk about territory and just kind of ties back into your book, Fetsky, where I think just from traversing your book briefly and seeing, you know, the introduction and a few pages of it, it reminds me of, like, the blueprint of what it means to be, like, an alpha male. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people they don't like that term or they try to label you as an alpha male and anybody that agrees or disagrees with you is either for it or against it and I'm kind of in the middle and I think that when you look at like traditionally like um the animal kingdom for example like you see um a pride of lions the alpha male which is the male lion he tends to be when you're a leader you tend to be very um quiet set back you have nothing to prove when that lion is you know guarding his territory. You don't really hear him or see him until there's either a food source or another male is infringing on his territory. Mm -hmm. And I think that your book is giving Bitcoiners, you you know, preferably male Bitcoiners, kind of that blueprint of like what it's like to be an alpha male again, as far as like your principles go. And I just wanted to thank you for kind of sticking your neck out there and you know being someone that will spark the conversation whether it brings controversy or not um about some of these principles that we're slowly losing inside of our community and in our society today
1: i mean mean, yeah i think the book definitely pushes on this sort of like masculinity angle for sure like and 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 that was a Like, I mean, I I wanted to write a book dedicated to sort of like the the manhood movement, um, but I don't, I just don't have the time for that shit at the moment. But, you know, this book sort of really leans into that uh, ideology. There was actually a section in the book which I kind of parried down a little bit, but it was kind of like a man's man's duty in a warrior culture and, you know, what that looks like. Um, And... You know, I, I, I want to pull on the thread what you said about territory. So there's a fantastic book, book written by an anthropologist called Robert Ardry. Um And if people have listened to my podcasts in the past, particularly with Trav, he and I have spoken about this. But Robert Ardry, brilliant anthropologist, kind of from the '60s, um, kind of like a what I would consider a based, you know, anthropologist, and he he writes about. Um, how species particularly social species uh, evolve like the the their primary drive is actually territory not sex like territory comes before sex which is wild like because most people think that sort of sex and reproduction is the fundamental driver of everything but he makes a series of observations a very strong case for territory kind of coming before that and uh you know sexual selection being a function of uh territory and man th- there's there's something deep about that idea and you know it, it actually maps very nicely over to the idea of um of private property which is an abstracted form of territory um, so anyway th- I, i'd recommend people to to take a look at that book at some point i'm, I'm going to do an essay on sort of the territorial imperative and how that uh, relates to private property and bitcoin and, and things like that and maybe you know what sort of citadels of the future look like but to sort of to sort of sum up that point like territory for a male particularly um is sort of the the, the fundamental building block of uh, his existence like a, a, the the masculine is about mastering domain um, and domain is territory and your domain can be Your own body, your domain can be your mind, um, your domain can be your skill set, um, your domain can be your fists, uh, your domain is your house, your domain is your business, your domain is the, you know, the territory which you govern or rule over, your domain is your family, your wife, you know, your children, like that is all your domain, your property, your territory. And, you know, a, a male, a man is wired to provide and protect that, um, And it, it comes with such a duty and a responsibility, but also, you know, it it requires these, um, these virtues of courage and self-control that I sort of discussed earlier. It it requires compassion and benevolence, magnanimity. Like it requires all of these things because, you know, if you're, if you're a territory operator and you don't have compassion or magnanimity, for example, you become a fucking tyrant. So like all of these virtues are extraordinarily important uh, to sort of come together. And it, it is, you know, my book is a calling upon, uh, male masculine Bitcoiners to sort of take on that mantle and be better men, be better leaders, uh, be better territory, you know, operators, uh, whether that is a commercial territory, you know, or your social or familial territory or your personal territory, you know, lead that shit better own it. Fucking prove that it's yours. Um, and, I, you know, I hope the sort of the book gives them a bit of a blueprint as to how to do that better. So th- thank you for picking up on that.
0: Yes, thank you, man. I love that, man. That was an awesome response. And, um, you know, for all the Bitcoiners out there that are really looking for um, a sense of self or principles or, you know, just kind of a standard to kind of stand on if you're really into, you know, being hyper masculine or alpha or just not even being alpha, just being someone that is kind of trying to find a way to just be a better Bitcoin or a better human being. Um, I think that this book is definitely going to change your perspective on how that approach um, might help you get there. Um, Fetsky, this conversation has been awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Could you give people your social media handles or any future endeavors before we leave? Absolutely, brother. So the the
1: best thing to catch me on is Twitter um, at SvetskyWrites, W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, or if, if you just type in Svetsky.info online, I think you'll get taken to my link tree or something like that. And, um, and you can sort of see all my links there, uh, Amazon and everything like that. And yeah, hopefully by the time you're listening to this episode, the Bushido of Bitcoin will be out on Amazon. So you can pick up a copy, um, or I believe it'll be available also on Bitcoin magazine as a publisher. So yeah, I hope, I hope you pick up a copy. Um, and I hope it, you, I hope you find it meaningful and that it has a positive impact on your life.
0: Yes, once again, Fesky, thank you for taking time to be on the Bitcoin source. Have a good one. Thank you, brother.